Good morning. Guess what time it is? It's story time. Yes. Today we are going to read the story When the Crayons Came Home. Yes. All right, here we go. One day, Duncan and his crayons were happily coloring together when a strange stack of postcards arrived for him in the mail. Dear Duncan, not sure if you remember me. My name is Mar Maroon Cran. You only colored with me once to draw a scab, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, you, you lost me two years ago in, in the couch, and, and your dad sat on me and, and broke me in half. Um, I, I would have never survived, um, but paperclip, paperclip nursed me back to health. Yeah, I, I, I'm finally better, so please come and get me. Um, and can Paperclip come too? Because he's really holding me together. Um, sincerely, Maroon Cran. <laughs> Dearest Duncan, uh, no one likes peas. No one even likes the color of pea green. Um, so I'm changing my name and running away to see the world. Sincerely, Esteban the Magnificent. The crayon formerly known as P. Green. Dude, Duncan, Duncan, dude, it's me, a neon red crayon. Yeah, dude, remember that great holiday when we had, that we had with your family? And remember how we laughed when we drew the picture of your dad's sunburn? Yeah, cool, yeah. Hey, do you remember dropping me by the, by the hotel pool when you left? Well, clearly you do not because I'm still here. How could you miss me? Dude, even after eight months waiting for you to come back and get me, I guess I'm walking back, dude. You're left behind crayon, red neon. Duncan, it's us, yellow and orange. <laughs> yeah, I know we used to argue about which one of us is the color of the sun, but guess what? Neither of us want to be the color of the sun anymore, not since we were left outside and the sun melted us together. You know the real color of the sun? Hot! That's what. Hey, we're sorry for arguing. I mean, you can make green the color of the sun for all we care. Just bring us home. You're not so sunny friends, yellow and orange. Hey, Duncan, I'm sure you don't recognize me after all the horrors that, we, that, that, that I've been through. I, I think I was Tan Cran, or maybe Burt Sienna. I, I don't know. I can't tell anymore. Have you ever been eaten by a dog and puked up on the living room rug? Because I have. I have been eaten by a dog and puked up on the living room rug. Duncan, it is not pretty. Not pretty at all. I think I'm more carpet fuzz than a crayon right now. Can you please bring me back your indigestible friend, Tan? 
possibly burnt sienna. Dearest Duncan, um, could you please open the door? I still need to see the world. Sincerely, Esteban, the Magnificent. Hey, Duncan. Remember last Halloween when we told your little brother there was a ghost under the basement stairs? And then we drew all that scary stuff on the walls? Right, right, right. And then he, and then he went running screaming, right? You remember that? But it wasn't so funny that you forgot me down the basement. Can you please come get me? I, I'm kind of terribly terrified. <laughs> Your, your scared friend, glow-in-the-dark crayon. Hey, dude, dude, Duncan, man, L looks like I'm almost home. Uh, been through China, Canada, and France, I, I think. Um, I, I just now crossing Newcastle by, by camel. By camel. Um, Newcastle has the giant pyramids, right? Um, see you soon, uh, neon red crayon. P.S. Next stop, North Pole, I think. All right. Duncan, does page eight of the Pirate Island ring a bell? It was kind of a big payday for Captain Greenbeard, uh, Greenbeard there, don't you think? <laughs> and no bronze or silver, silver in that pile, huh? I told you. I, I told you it would make me blunt if you colored each coin individually. But would you listen? No, 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 no. I also told you that that stupid crayon sharpener would never work either. Did you listen to that? Nope, nope, also no. Now I can't color anything at all. Your pointless friend, Gold Cran. Dear Duncan, I have seen the world. It is rainy. I'm coming back. Esteban the Magnificent. Hi, Duncan. You're, you're probably wondering while my head is stuck to your sock. A great question. I ask myself that every day. Well, it's because last week you left me in your pocket and I ended up in the dryer. Mm -hmm. I landed on your sock and now he's stuck to my head. Hey, can you please, can you please come get me? Also, why does everything you wear still smell after we wash it? Your stinky, socky, stucky on head buddy, turquoise crayon, P.S. Sock says hi. <laughs> dear, Mr. Dear, dear Mr. Duncan, I know I'm not your cram. I know. I, I, I know I belong to your baby brother. But I can't take him anymore. In the last week alone, he has bitten the top of my head off. He has put me up the cat's nose drawn on the wall, and, and tried to color rubbish with me. The worst part, the worst part is he is a terrible artist. I can't tell what he's drawing. Are they donkeys? Are they monkeys? Are they donkey monkeys? You know, Picasso said every child is an artist. I don't know. I don't think he met your brother. Please. Rescue me, your desperate friend, Big Chunky Toddler Cran. Hey, dude, dude, greetings from the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> Making great time. Uh, I think I'm almost home. 
neon red crayon. <laughs> Hello, Duncan. It's me, Brown Crayon. You know exactly why I ran away, buddy. Everyone thinks that I get the great coloring jobs. Chocolate, puppies, ponies. Lucky me, right? <laughs> but they don't know what else you drew. I didn't think, I didn't think the rest, you know, I, it, was, it was a great coloring day for you. And, 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 and the rest of the drawing was great, but, but did it really need that final brown scribble? I'll come back. But please, let's... Let's stick to chocolate, okay? Your very embarrassed friend, Brown Cran. See, Duncan was sad to learn all the crayons he had lost, forgotten, broken, or neglected over the years, so he ran around and he gathered each of them up. But Duncan's crayons were also so very damaged and, and, and they didn't, and different shaped, and they didn't fit in the crayon box anymore. So Duncan had an idea. He built a place where each crayon would always feel at home. The end. Thank you, Mr. Matt, for our story today. Let's pray. God, as we, as we ponder these words and your words today, speak to us. Open our hearts to your love, our minds to, to see what you see, and transform us by those words into the disciples you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Drew Daywalt is the author of this book that Matt read, and uh, he actually first wrote the book, The Day the Crayons Quit, that we read uh, a couple weeks ago during worship here at Clay Church. And that book was a huge success, like best-selling children's book, awards. And so what happens when you write a book that gets lots of awards is the publisher calls and says, hey, you've got a sequel in mind, right? And so the, the uh, publisher called Drew and, and said, hey, you have a sequel in mind, right? And he's like, no, I'm sorry, I, I, really, I really don't have any ideas. He says a, a short time later, he was walking into his living room with his morning coffee ready to sit down, and there the dog had puked up on the carpet the crayons that he had eaten. Sam, their dog, ate everything, he said, and on this day happened to eat crayons and puke them up on the carpet. And about the time he noticed it, his wife came in, and, and she saw the mess and exclaimed and said, well, I'm going to go get some carpet cleaner. To which at that moment, Drew says, he went, that's it. And she said, what's it? And he said, the idea for my next book. And she said, fine, you clean it up. <laughs> so, as he cleaned up the mess, he says he, he began to think. And then he went on to write this book. And he says he wrote this book about all the poor crayons in our life that we've lost, abused, and broken over the years. He said the theme of this book that we heard today, the theme was rescue, or to be rescued. Later, he'd share in an interview this. He said, the ending of the book came to me from the philosophy of my parents. Dad was a fireman and mom was a nurse, and they spent their lives caring for people. 
and they always told me to help people and make room for them if they needed it. We had a great number of people who stayed with us over the years, my parents helping them out while they were down on their luck. And that's what I wanted Duncan to do. I wanted him to provide a loving home for the crayons as well as the respect they deserved. What comes to mind when you think of being rescued? Maybe a, a fireman rescuing somebody from a, from a building. What do you think of when you, when you think of being rescued? When I was about 10 years old, I was really excited. Every year, my family went on Memorial Day weekend to the Black River Lodge in southern Missouri. It was a family tradition. That we gathered with cousins and cousins of cousins, and everybody got together and, and had fun that weekend, and, and uh, there was putt-putt, and we'd ride the train, but the, the highlight of the weekend was a float trip down the Black River. And, uh, and I was excited, like, I know it was like 10 or 11, because I, you had to be a strong enough swimmer in my family to be allowed to go on the float trip. And I had reached that milestone of being a strong enough swimmer, so I got to go on the float trip. And so Saturday, we got in the canoes, and, and we went down the river, and we had, a, we had a great time. Although I've got to tell you, it wasn't as exciting as I thought, because I rode in the, in the middle of the canoe, where you didn't got, get to paddle at all or anything, and it wasn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. But what I really remember is the next day, because the next day, it was another hot day, and the family decided it would be great to go inner tubing down the river on another day. And so this time, everybody got to go. We got, in, got into our inner tubes, and we went down the river. And the day before, we had passed by a spot in the river where a, where a, a log, a, a tree had kind of either grown out or, or fallen out over the river, and the, the current went right into the tree. Um, and there was a little pileup the day before, but we steered the canoe around it and didn't think anything of it. Well, on this day, we're in inner tubes, and I don't know if you remember being 10 years old and kind of a little, little person in an inner tube, but it's kind of hard to, like, steer an inner tube when you can hardly get your hands over the side and down to the water. And for whatever reason, I'd been with my cousin most of the day, but at this moment, my cousin wasn't holding on to my inner tube. And so the current caught me, and it took my inner tube into the back of this huge pileup that had developed. There were canoes and rafts and inner tubes, and I went into the back and a little water safety word for you. If you don't know this, I know it now. I didn't know it then. If you're about to hit something in a boat or in, a, in an inner tube, some floating device, you should lean into what you're going to hit. It's kind of counterintuitive because we're used to leaning back if we're about to run into something, but you should lean into it because what happens is if you lean back and the inner tube goes up, bumping into whatever it is, you go off the backside. So I flipped over went under the water, and my life jacket, I was wearing a life jacket, and the life jacket did exactly what it was supposed to do. It lifted me up to the surface, only the current had caught me and pulled me under the, the pileup of boats and canoes, and I came up and was pinned by my life jacket underneath the water. Um, that's actually all I remember in that moment. I just remember the sheer sense of panic. What I know, the next memory I have, is that somebody was pulling me to shore on the other side. Now, I don't know if a good Samaritan saw me go under and jumped in underneath and pulled me out, or if the current caught me again and pulled me out and I popped up on the other side. I actually have no idea. I just remember the sheer sense of panic. But I remember, to this day, being rescued. I remember being rescued pulled through the troubles to, 
to live fully into another moment and into another day. Rescued to to give thanks to God for the life that I've been given and to live every moment as as a gift. And my rescue story is pretty dramatic. But I'm just going to guess, if we think of a rescue as pulling us through the troubles to fully live into another moment and another day, I'm going to guess all of us have rescue stories of some kind or another. Maybe not as dramatic as mine, but, but maybe you've been rescued from grief just ruling your life. Maybe you've been rescued from an addiction. Maybe you've been rescued from being or feeling alone, that simple phone call from a friend on a day when you just felt like nobody even knew you existed. Maybe you've been rescued from from feeling like you don't matter, somebody helping you know that your life makes a difference in theirs. Maybe you've been rescued from, from sins that have pulled your life apart. Maybe you've been rescued from destroyed relationships. We get rescued in lots of different ways. And rescue is a theme that appears again and again in the Bible. King David, for example. As, uh, as I read the day the crayons quit, and thought of, thought of this theme of rescue in Drew Day Walt, this, this psalm in the Bible, Psalm 34, came to mind. It was supposedly written by King David. So this is how it starts. It says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and then he left. That's how, if you read the the psalm in your Bible, there's just like this little intro. And now we don't know for sure, but we believe that David, he probably wrote this psalm as he was fleeing from King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him because he saw David as a threat, and Saul was kind of losing his mind. So David was in trouble. And, and David went to flee from Saul, and he ended up in the court of a, of a king named Asich. And there's some thought that maybe Abimelech is just another, another name that Asich had, because the stories then line up. David was in this house, he gets recognized, and he pretends to be crazy or insane um, so that nobody recognizes him and he can slip back out. Whatever the background, in Psalm 34, what we find are these words of David after he has been rescued. And this is what he says, right? He's been pulled through troubles to to live, fully live into another moment and another day. And this is what he writes. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Extol means to like, to praise, to lift up God's name. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And then David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And then David continues 
for a little bit. And then he says this, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them, think rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. There are so many layers in this psalm. It's such a beautiful psalm. But at the heart, right, David says that our God is a God of rescue. Right, first, he says God rescues us from our from our fears. God allows us to face the struggles we're in, knowing that we're not alone when we face them. And then he says he rescues us from our troubles, meaning our troubles don't get to define us. God gets to define us. And then what's really beautiful about this is, like, David wasn't out of trouble. As David writes this, there's still going to be challenges in front of him. Saul still wants him dead, but now he's like, I know that God is with me, and so I don't I don't have to fear. I can live my life to the fullest. And he says this. It's really interesting, the psalm. He says, I'm sharing this because I want the afflicted to hear. I want other people to know what I'm experiencing. This rescue isn't just mine. I want others to know that God can rescue and will rescue them too. And then when it says taste and see, it's like that's a weird thing. How can you taste and see that God is good? It's a turn of phrase in Hebrew that literally means to experience it. It's like David saying, To everybody who's going to read this after him, he's like, I want you to experience this, this life that I find, this deliverance from trouble that I find in my God. Not only that, but Psalm 34 is an acrostic. How many of you know what acrostic is? Anybody know what an acrostic is? Some of you uh, who have been in school, you might know what an, you might have seen an acrostic, or your teacher might have used one. An acrostic is when the words, the the letters of a word, or or the letters of the alphabet, but the letters of a word, you you do a line, you start a line with each of those letters. It's an acrostic. This psalm, we completely miss this in English because we don't know the Hebrew. This psalm is an acrostic that walks all the way through the Hebrew alphabet, from what we would say A to Z, but in the, in the Hebrew alphabet, which essentially is, it's like David is saying, I, I can't find enough words to describe what it's like to know God as a rescuer. So I'm going to use this acrostic to indicate that, that it, is, it is the fullest message I can give you. I can't use every word imaginable, but this poem is going to, encompass the idea of every word imaginable to say what great good news this is. We are a people who believe in a God of rescue. Right? And we see the fullest expression of that in Jesus. And if we believe as we do, that we are the body of Christ, that means that we are a church of rescue. You ever think of the church that way? The church is a people and a place, but certainly a people of rescue. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a a church of rescue? 
I think Jesus actually tells us. Right, John 3.16. How many of you know John 3.16 by heart? Right, lots of people know John 16 by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. It's amazing how often we as a church quote that verse. Right, it's important. But we quote it without verse 17, which also says something important. Verse 17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son to rescue us. And if we are then the body of Christ, our, our mission is to rescue others, to show them the love of God that, that pulls through troubles, that rescues us. Jesus will later affirm this in, in a number of the Gospels, but Mark's story, uh, it tells it really early in Mark chapter 2. It says that Jesus sat down to eat with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, think of the Pharisees as the church at the time. They were the people of God at the time. And they're like, wait, why are you eating with like tax collectors and sinners? Shouldn't you be eating with just the righteous people and the, you know, the people who have it all morally together? And Jesus says to them, says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What does it look like to claim that we are a church of rescue in the world today? I need your help for a minute. Would, would, uh, would you be willing to stand up? Let me invite you to stand up for a moment. And I want you to, I want you to fold your arms. Everybody, everybody fold your arms. And, uh, and give that look that you give to somebody who is doing something that they shouldn't. Kids, if you don't, haven't given that look, think about how your parents look at you when, when you're doing something you shouldn't, right? So, so fold your arms and, and give that look at like somebody, somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing. Everybody got that look down? Here's a fear that I have. Look around right now. Look, look at the people with that look. Look at the people. Does this look like a church of people of rescue? Or does it look like a people of judgment? Now let's try something else. Let's try something else. Let's uh, uh, put, put a hand out and just imagine you're reaching out to somebody who needs, you know, when somebody needs help getting up. Um, imagine you're reaching out to help somebody get up. Right? Now look around and, and, and sort of, you don't have to actually offer that hand to somebody, but look around as though you're going you're gonna to help the person up next to you. Look at them with this, with this posture. Does this look like a people or a church of rescue? Yeah, right? You can be seated. I think we get to decide right now in this world, in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this place we find ourselves in history, I think we have to decide what we're going to look like as the church to the world. And this is my prayer for Clay Church, that we won't be the church that goes like this to the world, but we're going to be the church that goes like this. And says, look, we know a love that can pull you through your troubles. We, we, know, we know a Savior that can save you from whatever is going on in your life. 
And we want to pull you in and, and have you be a part of that. Because once, once you're rescued, once you know that, that strength that pulls you through the troubles of your life, once you know that there's a community there, when you can't see your way through on your own, then you're going to want to be that community for other people. What does that look like for us as a church? What does that look like as Clay Church? One of the downsides of, of a, a children's book series during the summer, I'm so thankful we've got Matt because he brings the stories to life. One of the downsides is we can't show you, although I guess we could have today, um, but we can't show you the, uh, the pictures um, up close and personal. When Drew Daywalt, when his illustrator drew the picture of this last page, I, I, want you, I know Matt showed you the picture. I want you, to, I want you to just imagine the details that are in that picture. Duncan, he couldn't fit the crayons back in the box. There was a sock attached and a paper clip holding them together. They didn't fit. So Duncan creates this just beautiful cardboard house, and he decorates it. And he writes on it, and it says, all crayons are welcome. And it says, no dogs allowed. And it has a picture of chocolate for the brown crayon on it. Right, he builds this place, this community, where everybody will feel Welcome and included and respected and important. Isn't that a great image? Isn't that the image we ought to have for the church? This, this community where everyone feels welcomed and honored and respected and embraced in the love of Jesus Christ. Look around you one more time at the people that are worshiping around you today. Just look around, front, behind. The people you see around you, they're not perfect. We're not perfect. And here's what makes that beautiful. What makes that beautiful is that we all know that we too need to be rescued sometimes by Jesus. And therefore, we are here for each other to rescue each other and to hold each other up to this mission of going out and rescuing others. We need to be rescued sometime from grief and from feeling alone and from feeling like nothing we do matters, from sins that pull us into, into things we know are not of God, from the unhappiness that comes from, from thinking more money or more stuff will make us happy. That's why we're here, because we know that we need a God of rescue in our lives. And here's the good news. God promises to deliver us. Not to let us be defined by the troubles or the struggles or the muck of life. But to define us as children of God. God's love define us, defines us. And God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ restores us to know that we have a home in in. God's church, this community of people. So here's an invitation today. If, if you are here right now and you're struggling at all, if you need to be rescued today, I want, I want you to just know that you can invite Jesus into your life right now. And accept the love that Jesus offered and know that you are loved in this community right now. We love you. God loves you. Know that gift and then reach out to anybody here if you need somebody to walk with you and pull you through those troubles of life. 
and if you have experienced the rescue of God's grace. I want to invite you, really challenge you and challenge us to take a posture of rescue, not just here on Sunday morning, but each day of our lives, each moment. Take a, take a posture of, of rescue and watch for opportunities to embrace people where they are, to introduce them to a God that rescues and delivers and invite them home to experience the embrace, the church, the people of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing our final song, which is about building that kingdom right here.